Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm PB. I'm Acorn. And I'm Murgles. Shall we begin? Yes, I would love to. First thing, though, before we get started, this is a companion, which you should probably know by now because you're on episode four. It's not a watch along. Go watch the whole series, then come back and join us. It's also an open discussion. So we go away each week with um, notes. Nobody gets to see anything ahead of time which means we'll have more surprises, but we might also not get everything right. And we'd love if you chipped in. We want you to feel like you're in our living room discussing right along with us. So this week's episode, it's a two-parter, Torn Apart Together, Ulrich and Katerina. And today is part one of that, which is Ulrich, No Future. Uh, I do have a question of the week, but before we do that, I think we should probably do housekeeping first. Yeah, sounds good. While I was editing the podcast, I realized that we we touched on something, but I kind of got it wrong, which was we were talking about Falco's Genie, which is a German song that came out, I think it was the 80s. I should probably know if I'm correcting myself. <laughs> <laughs> so Falco's Genie came out December 1985. So I, I briefly said that it was about a girl who was kidnapped. It is not about a girl who was kidnapped. It is actually about a young girl who starts a romantic relationship with a much older man who wears red lipstick. And it is about this young girl in a relationship which starts off romantic, but eventually becomes very unhealthy. And Falco has previously said it is the musings of a stalker. Uh, oh, so it wow. Was, yeah. That kind of changes everything. It changes everything. So it, <laughs> what's crazy about it is um, when it came out, it was obviously very, very controversial, which is something that I said correctly. Critics said that it glorifies rape. It's a very uncomfortable, like the lyrics are very uncomfortable because it's about this young girl putting on a red lipstick, going to meet her older man lover, all this other stuff. So when I found that out, It just blew my mind a little bit in in regards to Elizabeth and uh, Noah, because yeah. Elizabeth puts on the red lipstick. She meets him in the woods, which is also part of the song. And he is going to be eventually her lover. So I just wanted to bring that up because when I found that out, I was like, wow, I really got that wrong. And also it's so much bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, that reference so, so and much that, better. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. 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 It's intense. It's super intense. <laughs> Um, okay, so as far as other housekeeping goes, we have an email. Yes. <laughs> we have an email. This is so exciting. <laughs> It's so exciting. We have an email from Troy and Troy says, hey, everyone, I just finished the series Dark on Netflix today and I'm enjoying listening to your podcast about the show. I think it's today's wait, wait, episode. Wait, 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 stop, stop, yes. stop, stop. So yes. Troy watched all of Dark and then immediately did what we all do which is where is more info on dark? Where can I, I yes. need more? 
Okay. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you, which, Troy. Which brought him to our podcast, yes. which is so how did you, exciting. Wait, Troy, how did you find us? Did you just Google it? Are we up on Google so. somewhere? <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, that's a great question. It could be yeah. it could be Spotify. It could be Apple Podcasts. Yes. It could be anything. Oh, how did you find yeah. us, Troy? Follow up email, please. Thank you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Troy says, I just finished the Dark Series on Netflix today and I'm enjoying listening to your podcast about the show. I think it's today's episode where you're all talking about red lipstick and I just wanted to chime in. I've always thought red lipstick was very hot, but I don't think any woman I've ever been with has worn it, so I haven't experienced it firsthand. I think mostly I've only experienced it in movies or maybe seeing someone else wear it at a restaurant or a bar or something. So it's possible that I wouldn't enjoy it on a partner, but I doubt it. Very hot. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yes! <laughs> he also says, also, in you were all discussing the color red in the episode, the importance of red, particularly as it relates to people who are traveling, you may have mentioned this, but did you at all mention the red pill from the Matrix? Obviously, they mentioned the Matrix in the series, and I believe the red pill was the one in which the unpleasant truth about the world. So I wonder if that was in their thinking at all. Looking forward to listening to more episodes. Best wishes, Troy! Yeah! <laughs> So we wrote him back and we we did say that we did briefly touch on the Matrix, but specifically the blue pill, but we did not talk about the red pill. Did we not? I thought we talked a we little bit about it because we also talked about the woman in the red dress. We talked That's about the woman in the red about. dress yeah. and we talked about the blue pill, but we did not talk about the, the red, red pill, pill, which is the, yeah. the truth. And I feel like PB would be a good person to weigh in because I... I know a lot of things about PB and one of them is she loves the Matrix. I do. I yes. love it so much. And half of my notes of this show are like, do not reference the Matrix this episode. You can do it <laughs> next episode, but not this one. You have to pace out your Matrix. <laughs> yeah. And well, also, I remember when I was watching the show, having that reaction saying like, yeah. you know, oh, I got to I got to reel that in. You know, not everything is related to the Matrix. And then Jonas is like, have you ever seen La Matrix? And I'm like, yes. I'm a failure in the Matrix. I'm a failure in the Matrix. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan. But yeah, the, so the red pill for color wise, I think that's also uh, it's a really good point. We also used red to be fixed moments in time, which I think ended up being my favorite theory that we came up with last week. And in I was rewatching some of the episodes for research for this week's episode. And I caught a lot more where I, I recognized it and went, oh, my God, yes, it's fixed moments in time or it's moments where it, this is important. You need to be paying attention to this. Does this person represent a moment in which characters are forced or that character represents forcing other characters to become awakened to the negative, you know, reality. Yeah. Ooh. I last night I rewatched episode 1 and did you know that Jonas and Marta when they first meet again after their summer away. So the first time we see Marta she's wearing a red knitted scarf like no. a thread. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, yes, I yep. remember now. Mm -hmm. The knitted though. Holy cow. The knit and you know who else is wearing a knitted scarf? Hannah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Key oh my people who, okay. who travel or are important are wearing the red. And of course, we talked about Mads's red coat when he disappears, but I had forgotten that. So I DM'd the, the group on Discord <laughs> last night being like, oh my God, his coat is red. And everybody's like, we talked about this last week, Beams. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, and it was great when I watched it. Thank you, Troy, for yes. emailing us. You're our first email and we're so happy. Oh, thank, thank you, you. Thank Troy. you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Okay. So we have two more. Someone tweeted us with the hashtag dark companion pod. Which you should do right now while you're listening to us. Right now. (laughs) Just say hi. Yeah. You don't even have to say anything other than hi. Tess tweeted us and said she or they has been really enjoying the dark podcast and I look forward to it every week. I love all the details you guys catch and your theories about color from this week's episode blew my mind. Here's an addition to the color theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was not talked about in this episode, although I'm sure you've seen this. It's the use of yellow and gold in red in the Ryder Bar, the rapper. So I missed that. Caught it last night in my rewatch, and I was like, oh, shit, there's more of it. But yeah, she or they are absolutely right. Yeah. Yep. So shout out to Tess. Thank you so much for bringing that one up to us. That's definitely something to consider especially when we think about it in context with what we discussed last week about yellow. Do you think they picked that bar specifically because of the colors and the name? I wonder because it is a chocolate bar that was previously available and is no longer available. So I think it does sort of have this uh, ability to time stamp someone. Yeah. Um, Like why would this wrapper be in the woods? This wrapper should not exist here because it doesn't exist anymore. anymore. Yeah. On that, I learned when I was watching the show the first time that Ryder is actually just Twix and it was named Mm -hmm. that in Europe until 1991. So those are real commercials they use in the show and everything. So, I mean, Murgles, do they have Twix in in Germany now? Oh, yeah. They definitely do have Twix. It's still one of my favorite chocolates. So I get to still buy it here. It still has that red writing and the gold wrapper, which is super cool. But yeah. Thank you, Tess. And we also have a uh, message from James. Hello, James. Sorry, I'm so excited. Okay, I'm excited. So James says, each episode greater than the last and the enthusiasm is infectious. Keep up the great work. My only thought that wasn't already covered was, is there any point where lack of color was particularly poignant? Hannah's affairs, for example. That's That's so so good. It's so good. He also adds quickly before we jump into that. He also adds, I approve of the red lipstick look on a lady too, but it doesn't seem to be commonplace except on more special formal formal occasions where being a bit more ostentatious is perhaps more expected. Saying that, I know I'll notice it all over the place now. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much, James. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. Okay, so I I love this housekeeping uh, because I do think we need to maybe talk about lack of color. Yeah. When When he says lack of color in Hannah's affairs... The scene where the St. Christopher pendant is given pops into my mind immediately. She's wearing black, I believe. I think she's wearing black and red lipstick. Wow. I want to say you're right. Yeah. Yeah. She also is wearing, if I remember correctly, I believe she's wearing like white at the very beginning of the show where we see Ulrich and her. Um, well, she's naked at the very first... beginning. Well, yes, Sorry, in the I'm very beginning, giving, she's naked. Silly. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, and I do know that when we first see her outside of that, she is wearing that red scarf, but her colors are pretty drab otherwise. Yeah. 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 And then her in the, what does she wear as a kid? Do we know? I think she wears a blue jacket. This might be a good mini, mini, mini follow up. Yeah. Mini episode that we do where we follow up on these things. We investigate uh, when when people give us feedback, we go and dive in because I feel like I want to properly go back and look at that stuff. It is a mustard yellow jacket. No way. Yeah, oh, it's wow. a mustard yellow jacket. And then the night of her affair beginning with Ulrich, she is wearing a red shirt. No. <laughs> oh, my yes. God. Wow. Yeah, man. 
I feel like honestly, we could go like shot by shot in this show yeah. with color and their their design choices and their set choices and could probably go shot by shot and see full on Charlie Day, everything in the red string across <laughs> yeah. the wall trying to connect all the dots. That's me with what triangles right now because they use yeah. so oh many triangles in the show. I originally I was like, I think we should do an episode about the triangles because there's so many. And now I'm realizing, you know what? That would literally just be an episode of going here and here and here. So now I'm just going to mention them when I see them as they come yeah, up throughout the that's... show. I'm just going to mention because there's one in this episode. Uh, well, there's a couple, <laughs> but there's only one I'm going to mention. I promise I, I will keep it together. Is that it for housekeeping? That sweet, is sweet it Merv. for housekeeping. Oh, but we're forgetting. Oh, what? Hmm? The, the toast Hawaii. Oh, yeah. We <gasps> did toast Hawaii. We made toast Hawaii. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I took pictures to put in our show notes for this week, but we, we went away. We each made toast Hawaii. Um, do we want to talk about it a little bit? Well, it was very delicious. Um, it was super fun for uh, my partner, Denki, because he's German and he has not had toast Hawaii in like eight years or something, but his mom used to make it for him Aww. all the time when he was Aww. a kid. So it was like a very nostalgic moment for him and it was delicious. I hate pineapple, I gotta be honest, and mm -hmm. I would eat it again. So so I did the original recipe, which is the pineapple, and it was great, but then I also made a version with pear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the other version that uh, that is one of Denki's favorites as well, is pear, a very specific cheese, and then bacon. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I don't do dairy. So I had a uh, vegan smoked cheese. Ooh. My goodness. It was very good. So in the future, I think if I, when I, I'm making another one today, when I make <laughs> mine today, I will do uh, like I'll broil the top. So the cheese, the vegan cheese melts on top because that's really all you need to do to make it melt. Um, otherwise, it was great. It was it was very filling and it was also just super easy. It was really easy to make. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah. I think it was as easy as making a sandwich, really, just in the oven. And it was delicious. I've made it three times this weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> next time I go to the store, I need to look for pears and bacon so I can make the alternative. But I can definitely see myself using this in the future and yep. making it. It's now it's, it's an official staple in my diet. <laughs> Are we ready to start then? Shall we begin? Yes. Like the yes. OK. So I have a question to start us off. What is the band that you listen to most as an angsty or angry teen? Oh man, Linkin Park. Oh. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good one. <laughs> Didn't have to think. I have to think because I listen to a lot of different weird, not weird music, but I, I, I think there was only one band that I listened to with the intention of being angsty. Is it Evanescence? Well, I did really <laughs> like, I did really like Evanescence. For Me sure, too. I did like Evanescence. Uh, but I distinctly my first answer would be My Chemical Romance. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I love My Chemical Romance. <laughs> <laughs> they use a lot of red in their album art too, don't they? Yeah, yeah they, they do. do. But specifically only one of their albums. <laughs> How about you, PP? If I think of specifically what maybe my parents were like, why are you listening to that? It would be MXPX. I don't know if you all are familiar with that. Alternative rock punky maybe a little bit i've never heard of them i also listened to lincoln park a lot i also listened to evanescence a lot they ended up making me burn that album <gasps> in my church group yeah so that's Wait, the one that first comes one? to mind mxpx that's the one that they were like this is the devil but i'm pretty sure they were like a christian band <laughs> so later as an adult, i was like oh no this is that's pretty 
pretty absurd. But anyway, yeah. So that's yeah. that was mine that I listened to. Um, and I picked that question because today we're going to be talking about Ulrich. And I'm going to go ahead and start off by just giving a refresher as to who Ulrich is. So Ulrich is also known as the inspector, which we'll get to in a minute. But his grandmother was Agnes and his grandfather was the unknown. Jana Nielsen is his mother and Trant Nielsen is his father and also his great grandson and also his great great grandson. Mads Nielsen is his brother. Katarina is his wife. And his three children, Magnus, Marta, and Mikkel. Now, this is interesting because I think they all start with an M to reference Matt's, the brother oh. that he oh. lost. Oh, yeah. yeah. So those are his children. And then Jonas would be his grandson and also his great-grandfather. And Noah is his great-uncle. So oh. he was born, yeah, he was born in 1971. His brother is listed as being born... There's a little discrepancy here because he, he's supposed to be three years, I think, younger than he was. That's what Katerina says to Marta on the couch when she's stressing out about it. Uh, in the entire situation, she says he was three years younger. But I think the timeline's a little bit off. He needs to be two or two and a half years. I think it's just one of those things where I don't look at it as, as an inconsistency so much as Katerina just said, oh, yeah, he was like three years younger. That's how people talk, you know, not everyone's going to get it right all the time. We see him most frequently, however, in 1986 when he is a troubled, angsty teen. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things he does in 1986, but he begins having a romance with Katarina in 1986. So we see him as a troubled teen, then he grows up and his son goes missing, and then he ends up following the red thread of finding his missing son, time traveling back to 1953 where he has followed Helg through the forest and he tries to prevent Helg from kidnapping children by killing him. He beats him with a rock. However, he doesn't kill him. He ends up setting in motion the events that will make Helg become a worker for Noah and becoming the kidnapper, yeah. which is just such a tragic, tragic thing. So that's back in 1953. So technically before he's born and before he's a troubled teen. So that's where he is at that moment. I'm trying to follow, follow him chronologically here. He then gets arrested on, on suspicion of murder and uh, he refuses to speak. And Agen Tiedemann is the police officer at the time and he's the one who interviews him. However, this is adult Ulrich. So he already recognizes Agon. And Aegon gave him such shit when he was a teen that he kind of treats him very, he's very hostile towards him. And he makes a, a Satanism reference, which is a loop. This is a, mm -hmm. I think one of the first examples we see of the time loop in itself. So he says to him, the more I kill, the better I feel. And then Aegon has this Satanism thing in the back of his brain for 33 years until he meets the younger Ulrich and is suspicious of him. He's aggressive on his inquiry with him because of that. So it's just the endless loop. It's the snake eating its own tail. He then remains locked in this place for the next 34 years. So in 1987, the year after we see him as a troubled teen, he is also simultaneously locked in a psychiatric hospital. And the staff call him the inspector since no one knows his name. Now, I went and I looked to try to see why potentially they called him the inspector, and I couldn't find anything. 
Do we have any thoughts or theories on why potentially they called him the inspector? I just kind of thought that he was called the inspector because he probably still had this sort of detective police training, detective vibe. He probably talked about, you know, things like that. Yeah. And maybe he continued being like, no, I'm a police chief. Yeah. No, I'm a police chief. Yeah. So that was kind of where I landed with that and mm-hmm. just assumed that he continued being himself. Yeah. Quote unquote. That's an interesting yeah. thought. Maybe that combined with if he talked about trying to find his son, like looking into the mystery of his missing son. Yeah. Something hit me when I noticed it and I went, I bet there's a reason why they're calling him inspector and I will have to dig deeper and find out more, but I couldn't find anything. But I, it's yeah. still... It still bugs me. It's in the back of my mind. Like there's a reason for that. Um, so if you listening think you know or have a good theory, we definitely want to know what it is. Okay. So then he is visited again by Agen in uh, 1987 on June 22nd, uh, trying to understand the events. And that's when Agen shows him a picture of his son, Mikkel. And then Ulrich freaks out and then escapes to try to go find and have contact with Mikkel, which we talked about in Mikkel's episode a little bit, the escaping, Houdini escaping. He ends up being taken back in and he ends up spending the rest of his time there in this institution. He meets Katarina for one of the my favorite scenes in season three, where they lock hands and she says, I will get you out of here. And he says, I'm so sorry for everything. And she just says, we'll get you out of here, which is absolutely incredible. And then they come up with a plan, him and Katerina. She says, it's my mother doing the rounds. I have a plan. She takes the same route. I'll come back for you at 10, wait here right at the door. And that's the last we ever see of Ulrich. He's there waiting at the door. He is the man with no future. Absolutely heartbreaking. (gasps) Absolutely heartbreaking. It's also the second time that one of his lovers or wife came to him during the time span and then left him alone and left him there. Though with Katerina, it's obviously very different. Yeah. It's unbelievably tragic. Yeah. So I just wanted to summarize kind of chronologically the timeline there. And then I have some specifics to talk about, but feel free to jump in whenever because this is just basically my notes. So no future is kind of a a really big deal. It's on his jacket. He is the man with no future. He is, I really feel like, the personification of the snake eating its own tail. Because Mm -hmm. not only does he have the no future jacket or the, the no future persona, but he is destined to repeat. His first conversation with Charlotte after Mikkel has gone missing, he says, I swore I would do things differently that I wouldn't become an incompetent asshole like him. And he's referring to Agen. And he says, that was 33 years ago. And look at me. I'm a joke. I cheat on my wife. My son has vanished. I can't do anything. 33 years and everything is the same. It's just now I'm the incompetent asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy about it as well is I find him to be, despite all of the things that he does, and I think this is something that is across the board with almost every character in this show, Despite all of the things that he does, he is written and performed and just is so real that I carry such sympathy for him, you know, like I really feel for him and it does make me feel so, it is incredibly tragic, his his end and like his whole timeline, you know, yeah. Um, this idea that he is, 
he brings the hate for Aegon and then Aegon hates him and recognizes him 33 years later yeah. when he's looking at the Creator album and reading the lyrics of that song, you know? That's actually uh, something I want to bring up. That album, that artist is renamed in the show. So that's the artist that you just mentioned, the album. Creator. Yeah, Creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondered but about that. In the TV show, they have renamed the band. The band is named Tabula Smaragdina, which is the Emerald Tablet. What? I think, isn't it the other way around, though? The The official band in real life is... Cre- Creator. Creator. Okay, yeah. But in the show, they've renamed the band and the album artwork and, and whatnot. The band is called Tabula Smaragdina, which is the Emerald Tablet. Yeah, and I think it's no even way. on yes. the album art. Yes, it is. It's, it's like... Because, um, of course, it's vinyl. So it's this big yep. uh, sleeve for the vinyl, the art. It's the Emerald Tablet and has Creator on the top and, and everything. Yeah. Um, so Wait, hold on. Of, That's cool. So maybe yeah, the ahead. band name is the same, but the album has been renamed in the show to be because it's a pleasure to kill pleasure to kill i think is the original album that's, yeah that's um, i think the that's na- the the official yeah name. yeah or the name of the song or that's why i was confused for a second because i saw that it was a real band the specific album that has pleasure to kill on it was released in 1986 mm-hmm. yeah and so that makes sense that they would rename the the album and put the imagery on there to like link it all together yep and um, yeah, go ahead and say what you were going to say. I have a I have a crazy thing that I found about that band. So I'm checking the dark website and I'm checking the dark website and the image that they have is of the original album cover. And it says Pleasure to Kill. Pleasure to Kill is a song by the German band Creator. It was released in 1986 on the eponymous album, which is still considered one of the most influential thrash metal records of all time. The song is about a zombie that rises from the grave and commits mass murder. Yeah, totally. But I'm pretty sure... I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm trying to find yeah. it in my notes because I did have that moment. It's when it's when Aegon comes to visit young Ulrich yes. after he sees Mikkel. He comes and confronts him and like asks him about what he's been doing and if he's been bullying people and whatever. It's in the background uh, next yes. to Aegon, like propped up against a wall. That's exactly it. In Ulrich's room, the album artwork uh, is Tabula Smargdina. I'm totally messing that up. First of Hebron. Okay, so I found the image. Um, so we'll include that in the show notes here so that you guys can look at it as well. Um, yes, it was a real band, but in the show, they I think they're referencing that they've either renamed it or maybe it's a previous. I think it's a different album, to be honest. I think this is just a, an entirely different album because they do they do also show the prop of of the Creator album where Egon is holding it and he opens it and reads the lyrics. And that's where he puts two and two together between Ulrich saying it to him and also the lyrics from the song. Okay. In the, in the Discord, we have the yeah, image of is. the... Yeah, and there then this is like the second album i think it's probably just a an extra album prop but it's still insane (laughs) yeah it's it's absolutely nuts so the album there is the emerald tablet that he has in the room Agen then infers to be satanistic paraphernalia which you know the 80s was the satanic panic season where everyone thought everything was satanism and everyone was in jeopardy and all their souls and whatnot so that's that's era appropriate, I find. But um, another reference to the Emerald Tablet is his son's name, Magnus. Really? Which could be a direct nod 
to Albertus Magnus, one of the very first translators of the Emerald Tablet. Dude. Which I thought was super fucking interesting. Yeah. So before we go too far into the Emerald Tablet, I do think he is the snake eating his own tail. We're talking about repeating cycles. It just made me realize he's also repeating the affair, Mm -hmm. repeating the the affair that his father had. And Mm -hmm. he's destined to repeat it. He has it no matter who he's with. And no matter what reality he's in, he's constantly destined to repeat that cycle. He's also representing the fact that they are literally caught in a time loop. His no future, there is no future because you never go to a future. You're literally caught in a time loop. And then if we succeed in breaking the loop, you have no future because you cease to exist. It's such a powerful thing, that no future jacket for him. And also, while we're talking about cool things in his bedroom, I don't know if this was done on purpose or if it was just a really cool thing that I found. But the game that he's playing is actually called Commando, which came out in 1989. Um, Well, technically, it came out in 1989 for the Atari, but there were a couple of other ports at that time. But it features a lone soldier who needs needs a special set of glasses to be able to see hidden bunkers. And then he needs to go and find those hidden bunkers to that's such a cool yeah. nod i thought that was My a really brain, neat thing dude. yeah i went what <laughs> that's insane yeah, yeah it's it's absolutely insane yeah so we can dive back into the emerald tablet because i think acorn you said you had something really mind-blowing near the uh, emerald tablet or about something no it's about pleasure to kill actually oh yeah let's do it let's do it Ooh. i'm ready i can only imagine what it took to find this but it, it's mind-blowing. I looked into Pleasure to Kill and, of course, all of the information about the band and how they're from 1986 and all of that stuff. Um, so I was curious and I went to go listen to Pleasure to Kill on YouTube. And someone said in the comments, the lines that Ulrich says in the show a few times, my only aim is to take many lives. The more, the better I feel. The first time you hear it in the song is at 33 seconds. Shut up. For real. Stop. <laughs> Stop it right now. I know. No, I I, I believe you. I believe you, but I need to look this up right now. Go. Do oh. it. <laughs> wow. No way, dude. No way. I was, that was my reaction. I read that. I'm like, no, no fucking way. And so I went and I went back, put it at the timestamp. And sure enough. Holy shit. This show. Okay. So I take back everything I said about Magnus, maybe not being a reference and Commando not <laughs> being a reference. I take it all right? back. I take it all back. It is. It is at 33 seconds. (laughs) This show is amazing. I'm 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 literally I'm checking now the like full album. Yeah. God. How do I how do I also there is something to be said about that particular line. Uh, the uh-huh. more lives I take, the better I feel. If we look at Ulrich as a representation of the circle, he himself is representing the loop. That is a personification of the loop. The more lives I take, the better I feel. The more I I collect and I wrap up into my net and into my web and into my loop, the, the stronger the loop gets, the, the more inescapable it feels, the more tied up and tangled everybody becomes. It's yeah. It's also like the more the more lives that I live because every loop is an is a life that he's living over and over again and also in the alternate world. And you just think about all the ways in which it's different there. It continues to be an inescapable many, many lives. 
So I like that interpretation because um, I, I was looking through the lyrics going, OK, if there's so much intention put into the show, what about this song links to dark? And like you said, Murgles, it's about like a zombie who goes on a killing rampage. So aside from a lot of blood, like red, it didn't really connect very much in dark other than those two lines that are picked out. So I almost wonder if the showmakers found the symbolism of that 33 seconds into the song. There are these lines. And so they took them and ran with it in the story. But I like that link to the Ouroboros and the many lives, living many lives, collecting many lives in that loop. So I'm just looking through the lyrics of the song. The first few, the first few lines are day turns to night as I rise from my grave. Black was the hole where I laid. And it's this, you know, this idea of, yeah, it's a song about a zombie, but also Ulrich goes and is raised from the dead period like he leaves and has a new life and he is also kind of a zombie especially when he's in the psychiatric unit yeah he's just a complete zombie and point yeah i think it's almost like you're not even the fun zombie (laughs) you're just a zombie (laughs) like you can't do anything you're completely helpless it's almost like ulrich has a, a a vow and a dream and a plan for who he wants to be. And everything that happens to him is the antithesis of that. Everything that he wishes, he gets the complete opposite. And you could argue, is that part of the timeline? Yes. Is that through his own behaviors? Yes. His own behaviors have to continue the timeline. What a what a terrible, tragic, hopeless place to be where the only way, your only purpose is to suffer. Yeah. At, and that is what you have to do to continue the timeline. And you're, he's completely and at cause the will. suffering because yeah. he does that as well, right? He causes deep suffering. Very deep suffering. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, you say what a hopeless place to be. And that is exactly how Ulrich feels most of the time. We see him at his happiest at the very beginning of season one. Also, just a random tidbit. He's the only character, I think, to be in all single episodes of season one. So Uh, even over Jonas, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. that's wild. I think we see him at his happiest right there in the beginning when he's in this illusion that he has control over his life, which is, you know, him having his affair with Hannah. His kids are there. He's happy he feels like he's got momentum he's doing things we see him smiling there there's a lot of power by the way don't let me forget to talk about the i love you you're beautiful because that's Mm -hmm. that repeats itself as the show progresses we do just see him relinquishing himself to the determinism of his life everything being predetermined and how helpless he feels about everything again taking it back to that conversation with charlotte where he says i can't do anything 33 years and everything is the same. I'm just the asshole now. And he also has a, a mirrored conversation, I believe. Hooch, uh, son of a bitch. Who does he have the conversation with in the alternate reality? Where he goes, I think it's Charlotte. I'm cheating on the woman that I ended up cheating on my wife with. Yeah. You know that. Like he, yeah. he just is destined to do that because he's so unhappy. That brings me to the single most powerful line I think Ulrich had in the whole series. And if you disagree with me, I want to know because I love Ulrich as a character. He says, do you ever wonder where you took a wrong turn? Where your life became the exact opposite of what you always wanted it to be? And he says that, I think, in season one, episode one, to yes, Charlotte. he does. He turns around. I wrote around. that down. It's yeah. so good. It is such a good line. 
the thing is, I, I would posit, actually, that he never took a wrong turn. There was no turn. There were no turns to be involved. It is, I think, in this show, and I mean, depending on how you feel about life, it is one path, I guess. I mean, not really. Of course, I think that every decision you make puts you yeah. on a different path. But I think with with the context of this show, he... You know, he reminds me of PB, you know, the show it's called Leftovers. Yeah. He reminds me very much of the main character of Leftovers, Kevin. this Kevin. He has this sort of breaks my heart. It's like very difficult to watch because he seems just it's impossible for him to be happy. No matter what he wants, the moment he gets it, he's not happy. It's like Ulrich. He wants to be with Hannah. I don't he think he it. wants to be with Hannah. No. I think he just... In the alternate universe, I guess, is what I was... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ends up trying to have control and leaving, but then he wants Charlotte. So I think he just wants something that he can't get in that that small town environment. Because he often talks about Wyndon saying, like, you know, I can't... Nothing ever happens here. You know, I can't escape. It's also the idea that you can't escape what has happened, what came before you, the fact that your brother went missing and they never found him, you know, that's a whole other thing that we still need to talk about with Ulrich, that he it's ends like up finding his brother. Yeah, it's yeah. super, super tragic. But I think too, the other thing about specifically that that loop and that snake eating its own tail and him never being happy, when he says, do you ever wonder where you took a wrong turn? something again triggered in me and I went, I bet there's a scene somewhere where he literally takes a wrong turn because we often see him driving. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's something that the creators would probably do. It's such a very simple word to use, such a wrong turn. Instead of saying, you know, where I went wrong, blah, blah, blah. He specifically says wrong turn. It could just be as simple as that opening shot of Wyndon with the streetlights. Do you go left or right? Like it could just be a reference to the final shot of the show. And I'd be happy with that because it could be. I Sorry, I just want to jump in. Yeah. I'm curious then about the translation on that scene. Yeah. Because I have personally noticed, listen, my German is definitely a work in progress. But when I watch the show, I definitely notice big, not discrepancies with the translation, but there are moments where the translation is very specifically not necessarily different, but it has a flourish to it that perhaps the German would not have. Isn't that normal with translations, though? Like, because you're yeah. trying to translate the meaning, to an extent, not, yeah. not yeah. specifically yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. You know, for example, there are a couple, I think I've said this before to you guys, um, there are a couple of instances where a character says schlecht, which just sort of means bad. It's like a, a word that means bad in many ways, but then the translation will be like, foul or putrid yeah. or something like that, which I think like you can say food is gone schlecht, but you know, um, there are German words that would be closer to foul and putrid. Yeah. So um so I I'm just super curious to like I think I'll have to go back and watch that scene and see like what the what the German is and Yeah. To your point with the wrong turn, I mean what I immediately think about is when he's going through the wormhole tunnel and there's two directions. <gasps> God, acorn! <laughs> oh my god, that is literally it. Because he gets I think so. trapped. He gets trapped. He takes a. He picks the wrong direction and gets trapped in 1986. Is that after? Is that after he says that though? I think yeah, it is. Of course, right? It's, that's yeah. like the first bit of dialogue he has yeah. with Charlotte after Mickle goes missing. But technically, oh he's yeah. already done it. He's already made the wrong turn. Yep. He goes. If he I had think 
left yes. to go to 1953 instead of right to go to 1986. If those are the dates, dude. correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I oh, fucking knew my it. God. When they when he said wrong turn, I went, that's a very particular way to say that. There's a reason they said that. You are absolutely right, Acorn. I've just had my Good mind catch, blown again. Though. Oh <laughs> my God. God, this is why we do this. Every every episode. I'm I just know. Say every, that. every every time. time. See, I wrote that quote down. I agree with you. That is probably the most powerful quote from or about Ulrich in the whole show. But then I didn't take it a step further and pick out the wrong turn thing. So yeah. that's a great catch on your part. Oh man. Oh my God, Team your brain, work. dude. Whew. Also in that scene, I'm just going to mention there is a perfect triangle that I squeed about just visually. Maybe it's because I'm a photographer and we're taught to put triangles in everything and it's just aesthetically pleasing or whatever. But I notice them in like every scene when they're done. So in the show notes, you're going to see the scene where he's speaking to Charlotte and there's a, a really cool triangle that I noticed. Um, but also in that scene, and I don't know if I want to go too much into this because this might be more of a Charlotte episode, but he says that. He says, 33 years, everything's exactly the same. And Charlotte's response shocked me at the time. And on a rewatch, I went, holy shit, uh, especially after our previous discussion. She responds with, have you heard of the 33-year cycle? She doesn't say, it's okay. She responds with, have you heard of the 33-year cycle? Our calendars are wrong. A year isn't 365 days. We're always a bit out of sync, so to speak. Every 33 years, everything returns to exactly how it was. The stars, planets, the whole universe returns to exactly the same position. A lunar solar cycle. My grandfather was obsessed with such things. The Big Bang, Big Crunch, Nietzsche's eternal recurrence. That's right. Yes. That's before we knew who she was raised by. And she references the snake eating its tail in front of Ulrich. So no doubt in my mind, is he supposed yeah. to represent the snake eating its tail? Because that's her response to him. Then she says, when I was little, I always felt something was wrong with Wyndon. I have that feeling again that everything is repeating like everything has happened before. One big, massive deja vu. Oh, God, I love Charlotte so yes, much. I, I do too. So much. I can't it's wait so to talk good. about her in an episode. Yeah, yeah she's oh, going to be man. a good one. But yeah, so I think that's like, those are the main things that I wanted to talk about in relationship to Ulrich today. But there's also so much more. There's his relationship with, oh, oh I wasn't sure if we should talk about this with uh, Katerina, but we should probably reference it both times because there is a scene where Ulrich and Katerina are seen smoking outside of the school, talking about having sex for the first time. And Katerina says um, she's sure she wants to have sex because Ulrich asks her, but then she insists that Ulrich get condoms because she doesn't want AIDS and she doesn't want kits. He doesn't say anything to this. Oh and my she God. punches him in the arm and is like, no, I'm serious. No kids, never. And then he goes, okay, no kids. You can tell in that moment he has always wanted kids and she doesn't want kids. And then it immediately cuts to Mikkel, their son. Yeah. I hate and that. And it's like, oh, oh it's so the other, good. Oh. Instead of talking about Katarina's perspective on that, because we'll save that for her episode, let's talk about Ulrich's perspective on that and how he's always wanted kids and like how potentially his, you wonder where you took a wrong turn and how life ends up being completely different than the way that you want it. Because he ends up, he also talks about not wanting to stay in Winden. 
if I'm mm -hmm. correct. He doesn't want to stay there. He wants bigger and better things, but he ends up staying. He ends up becoming the police detective and he ends up having kids with Katarina. He, he marries Katarina. I think that's one of the main character things that doesn't, well, I mean, there's many character things about Ulrich that don't change, but that is one that I think is also really important is his love for his kids. Yeah. Because I think like that pushes him to do all kinds of horrific things in trying to find his son. And I think it's very clear from the very beginning how fond he is of his children yeah. and how much he loves them. Yes. And whether or not his his uh, infidelity plays upon himself in that way, you know, reflecting back towards him. Yeah, I just I just think that's one thing that you can say about Ulrich is that he really loves his kids. Can yeah. you in the alternate reality? Because they specifically say it would have been nice if you stopped by to see how we were doing. Oh, that's true. In the alternate reality, that's true. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Yeah. I take it back. But I don't. I don't think. <laughs> You know, there's a lot to be said there. He could also still yeah. really love his kids. It's just a difficult time for everyone. You know, yeah. That, that, that doesn't mean strange. he doesn't love his kids. But yeah. I, I think his love for his children is why he suddenly turns on Hannah, right? Because in the beginning, mm -hmm. he's super into Hannah. He doesn't say, I love you back. But we know from the alternate reality, and I love the way they set this up in the show, because they show us season one where he's having this affair and then he cuts it off cold and kind of really treats her very poorly. And then we see an alternate reality where he leaves his wife for her. So we know that the potential was there. But in the reality where he leaves his wife for her, his son doesn't go missing. And we know that in the reality where Mikkel goes missing, he views it as punishment for what he has done. He yeah. specifically says, I deserve this. This is what I have. I did a thing and now I God is punishing me. My son is gone and taken from me because I'm having this affair. So he his love for his kids also stops him from connecting anymore with Hannah which is pretty powerful because they have been friends yeah. for so long and the, he initiated the affair. Hannah in the alternate reality is pregnant with a new child when he starts having an affair with Charlotte. Yeah. Ah, it's just, it's uh. just, it's just crazy. He's just, he's just destined to repeat that. Yeah. On the topic of family, I did always find it super interesting how in the second season, it's his cell phone that's used to travel with the time machine and his background is his family. Yep. So that symbolism there of how his family is a source of all of this and we see it every time that phone is used with machine. Oh, and his phone is the one that is left behind that sets Tanhouse. Yeah, it sets Tanhouse on. That's why. Yeah, yeah. he leaves it there. Yeah. And so Tanhouse yeah. takes his technology and after going through the what the heck is this, yeah. ends up using it to power the machine, to make it work, to make it time travel. And so after that point, we see it a couple times. I think even in the climax of season two, before everything happens, the apocalypse, it's his phone that sets it off. Without him, you can't have this loop. Nope. It's wild. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Ulrich is a victim to either his circumstance, to the timeline, to his proposed lack of free will? I think that he is sympathetic, but I don't think he's a victim, no. Because yeah, ultimately, yeah, I would agree. you can still make a decision. You can still, yeah. you still have power in your own life. In the show, they use him to represent how hopeless this loop is, really. He is mm -hmm. that personification. But in real life, even though you feel trapped in a loop every day, 
doing the same thing over and over again. There's always some way that you can change something around you. You can change your environment. You can do things differently. You do have that power. In that way, he's a victim of his own thinking that he is mm-hmm. stuck in Winden and that. And I that's actually a very interesting point because in a way, sometimes we feel like that in small towns, especially where you're like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm here. I went to school here. I said I was going to get out and now I'm here working at the same gas station my parents worked at, blah, blah, blah. So in that way, I, I do feel like people can feel like they're stuck in their own loop, but you can change it. You can change mm-hmm. it. It's hard, but you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with what you said. Yeah. I was just curious because I think because he's sympathetic and we see these sorts of, we see the timeline. I think I view the timeline as sort of like a God in a sense where it is, it is controlling which will, you know, I think gets into other stuff. But, yeah. you know, Noah believes that the timeline is God. So yeah. I, I see the timeline almost as its own character as well in some degree, but it also isn't. And I think that is a mind trap that is very easy to fall into, this mm-hmm. idea that you don't have power, you can't change things, things are just the way they are, things happen for a reason. And... I think it really, truly is a labyrinth that you keep yourself in yes. every day when you make those decisions. And you just got to find you your build, red thread. Yeah. You build your own labyrinth and you are your own minotaur and you have to find your way out. Wow. Yeah. That is powerful. Holy crap. Seriously. Yeah, very much. And I mean, to your point, Murgles, about the timeline almost being a God figure and it forcing people through the labyrinth in a certain way almost, I still think that doesn't... Um, excuse people for their own actions like with Ulrich for instance he chose violence over anything else because he attacked Helge so I mean the timeline didn't force him to do that that was his decision and then the outcome is what fed into the timeline yeah so I think for that reason the actions he takes the things that he does while they do play into his closed time loop his Ouroboros and all of that it's still it's still an indication of who he is as a person. And so while he's sympathetic, I don't think he's a victim completely. Yeah, I think it's very interesting when you look at Katarina versus Ulrich and the cycles that they are in, because Ulrich does not break out of his cycle. Katarina does. And that right. yeah. is like crazy. He uh, is pick- painted as this kind of like violent, aggressive teen and he never breaks out of that cycle of aggression. His way of problem solving is to fucking murder Helg. You know, like that's what he tries to do. And that's not the that's not the route Katarina takes. So it's it's very interesting to see those two. Um Yeah. Yeah. It's like the here's your question and here's your answer sort of thing. Like what do these two characters who come from you could argue that they are different people, but, you know, they've been together since they were teenagers. They grew up together. They've spent most of their lives like they know each other on an intimate level that no one else knows each other, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think there is an element of duality between the two of them that you can point at and you can say, here's what Ulrich chose to do and here's what Katarina chose to do. And those are very stark, con- starkly contrasted yeah. because it's not as if Katarina's not It's not as if Katerina is the happiest person in the world. You know, she has her own stuff going on and she doesn't choose to do what he does. Their son disappears and they both choose to do different things about it. Yeah. 
if you look at those two sort of parallel lines and the ways that they intersect and the ways that they, you know, separate, it's a super fascinating sort of guide to navigating these these topics and how different people can be, even if they're they come from the same place, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I had one other random thing to say that popped into my head when you said voice of God or God. Um, and that is that I saw on Reddit a couple of nights ago. I love the Reddit, by the way. If you are listening to this, surely you have found the dark subreddit. But if you mm. have not, they also have a Discord. Go to the subreddit. Go to their Discord. Really cool discussion in both places. But I did see on Reddit a couple of nights ago, somebody had said the very first thing we ever hear in the show is the voice of God, metaphorically speaking. Tanhouse says, we trust that time is linear. It's the first thing we ever hear in the show. And I went, whoa, that is so cool because I, I didn't notice that. I mean, of course, when I rewatched episode one, I went, you're right, there it is. I didn't realize it was his voice. Dude, dude, Tanhouse literally, I don't want to get too off topic with Ulrich, but Tanhouse like literally is God. He created yeah. the universe. Yes. He created these universe. He created these people because these people would not exist if yeah. it weren't for this timeline split. So how freaking appropriate. How did Dodd create the world to save his son? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just. <laughs> I just so good. My brain, <laughs> just brain just exploded. exploded. Yeah. Okay. We can dive into that, but yeah. Sorry, just realized. No, don't apologize. That's the whole point of this: is we want to have the brain explosion moments live, or you know, recorded at least, so that True. other people yeah. can have them with us. So it's totally exactly what we wanted to do. So those were my main topics that I wanted to talk about with Ulrich. Um, did we have anything else? Because there's so much more still to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Just on the topic of random thoughts, something mm -hmm. that's been kind of bugging me ever since I first saw the show is Ulrich has no future on the back of his jacket. Mm -hmm. He also has it like written, painted, taped onto his wall. But then we also see it on the ground in front of the power plant. And no future is only ever tied to him. Do we think he did that? Yes. With a bottle of yeah, spray paint? Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. But and yet we don't see like his political position with the nuclear power anywhere else, do we? Well, we see it with Mads because Mads is wearing an Atomic Energy no Nine Danke yeah. shirt. Um, and so, you know, I feel like you could probably extrapolate from that. And even if he didn't care about it beforehand, after Mads goes missing, you could assume he cares about it now. Yeah. Okay. I think he also in dialogue when they get to the power plant, he there is implied friction already between him and the power plant owner. So there's that. And then there's also uh, Mikkel makes a couple of references to his dad's beliefs, which would be Ulrich's, which is atheism. And I don't know if he specifically references the power plant, though. I do have mm -hmm. a, a, a quick point about the power plant and Germany specifically. Mm -hmm. um, after Fukushima, Germany, Germany decided to decommission and shut down all of their power plants. Yeah. And the, the country is very pretty much anti-nuclear. I mean, of course, there are people who I, I bet are like freaking out about where the energy is going to come from. But in terms of like, you know, Germany got a big hit when Chernobyl happened because yes. it's close enough that they got, you know, they got a wave of radiation and stuff. Yeah. Germany and, ra and radiation, like nuclear power, has been a very fraught sort of discussion over the last 30 years. So it is an interesting thing to note that now they have they are actually slowly destroying and decommissioning all their nuclear power plants. There's also a very interesting video if you want to see one of those power plants get destroyed. It's the two towers that look exactly 
like the Winden uh, power plant mm-hmm. and um, they it was destroyed and you can watch them come down. You can just Google it. It's crazy. Or we can put it yeah, in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes. In the show notes. That would be, yeah, that would be great. They reference that in the show too. That's why they are being decommissioned in the show is because the mm. law has passed in Germany yeah. that that's what they're doing. Could we talk about his relationship with Hannah or his relationship with Katarina just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting to see who he is with each person. I also totally skipped over the fact that he was accused of raping Katarina in yes, in the timeline right. <laughs> and he spent like time in jail. Like definitely Egan Egan suspected him from day 1 because of seeing him and recognizing his face and being yeah. unable to comprehend that it's time travel, which is totally understandable. So much shit happens to Ulrich where it just feels like he's set up for failure. He's destined to fail. Oh, we should talk about Regina, right? Yeah. And how they yeah, kind of like bully her. I was going through my notes and I feel like if you guys agree, then um, great. If not, we can talk about it now. I feel like a lot of Regina's character is based on her interactions with other characters in the in the town. So maybe save, um, maybe save Ulrich and Katarina's relationship with her for her episode yeah yeah that's true yep that's fair yeah because i think it affects her more than it affects them anyway yeah that's true the other thing about that moment where he is he is arrested is that his mom yana demands that Aegon be taken off of uh mad's case yeah because of that yeah instead of then maybe talking about the relationships we could just talk about why he is destined to have an affair yeah i'm into that okay I mean, there's the very clear direct metaphor that he's trying to escape a loop. He's trying to escape the, the him feeling trapped. So he's always yeah. trying to like have an affair and do something new and trying to kind of like escape his destiny. So I think there's that. But I also think it's interesting who he will continually choose to pick. Like, what does he like about Katarina? Why does he fall in love with Katarina? Because she's strong? Because it looks yeah. like she's going to get out of the loop? Because she's a fighter? Maybe. Yeah. And then because she's the person who solves problems yes. instead of getting trapped in them. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I think that's why he falls in love with her. And even when Hannah is pretending to be Katarina and visits him, that's the other thing I left out in his timeline. Sorry. He's in he's in jail and Hannah comes to visit him back in time. And but she says her name's Katarina when she first goes back and he's excited thinking Katarina's actually there and he sees Hannah and the ultimate disgust on his face when it's her and she's like tell me you love me and I'll let you out and he goes no I love Katarina and then she leaves him there to rot that is so interesting that he denied her there but then in the alternate world he left her in the dust yes so why that's so interesting to me Ulrich has never really been a I'm a proponent for honesty guy. So why did he lie to her there? Why wouldn't he tell her the truth or, or why, or sorry, why didn't he lie to her there to get out? He will do anything to get to his children. But in that moment, he said no to her. Why? Maybe he just decided, maybe he just fully took to heart that he was being punished for something. And he felt that was his moment to change. No. You think? No. Well, I mean, she represents this sort of like apple. He says you are cancer. Yeah, you are not okay. So that's interesting, actually. If she is the apple and he is saying no to Satan, essentially. Oh, 
my god yeah man mind blown just back to the you know the forbidden fruit and the apple but then if townhouse is god then adam and ave or eva make way more sense and i'm just kind of a little bit like oh my god (laughs) also i would like to note that i saw on the reddit i saw someone make comment that the time travel device that marta uses is a round apple like a Ooh, round golden oh apple. Oh my god. And she's Eve. So just throwing it out there. <laughs> That's a great symbolic nod. Wow. But just to jump back to your earlier comment about what a powerful scene it is when Katarina comes to oh. see Ulrich in the in the hospital and she sort of like forgives him. She's like, I understand. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's just a moment where like, I I felt like when they first introduced these characters, I was so expecting it to be sort of stereotypical archetypes mm-hmm. yeah. of, you know, the wife that is being cheated on who is like cold and distant and like doesn't give love and does all of these things wrong and whatever. But I was so... You know, I fell in love with Katarina because she is just straight up a ride or die. Like she really is to some extent a ride or die. Absolutely. Um, She forgives him for that stuff and still goes, I'm going to get you out. Yeah. I think there's just something so powerful about that and is the antithesis of Hannah as a person. Like Hannah as a complete human being is the antithesis of Katarina. So why does Ulrich go for hannah i think because hannah's passing herself off literally and metaphorically as a katarina or a charlotte someone who will go and do and in a way hannah is driven she will go and she will do what she wants to get what she wants but hers is to get what she wants not to find the truth or to protect other people or for her family you know those kinds of things she's doing it for herself so they do all have that similar trait that drive that strong powerful woman i'm gonna take steps action i'm gonna take action they're not they're not passive women no, that he no, they're not. tends to fall for. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. That's probably the unifying thread between like his type he, and those women. Because then he bullies Regina, and I guess you could argue that she is not Re, Regina's not that way. I don't know. Well, that she's definitely not. At least not no. until she gets much older. But yeah. I think that uh, I I look at Ulrich as kind of passive as well, and he wants to be like Katarina. And so when he's bullying Regina, it's mm. because Katarina's doing it. So he's literally kind of following along. She says, "Yes, I'm ready Let's to have, have sex. sex, but you get the fucking condoms." And he's like, "Okay, yes, no kids." Sure. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, no <laughs> kids, yeah. And he from day 1, he's felt trapped and he wants to be as strong as like Katarina or Charlotte. You know, to be able to like get out and do these things. I wonder how much of that is related to his upbringing and losing his brother. Yeah. Because I noticed too that he's so estranged from his mother as an adult. She calls the hotline to get in touch with him versus his own own cell phone. And whenever he sees her, he's so cold to her. So I almost wonder if his mother's love for Mads and the way that she fell apart when he disappeared is somehow part of like the way that he grew up feeling trapped or powerless. And so he gravitates towards power and people who can make things happen. Yeah. And he needs love. He needs love from that. Yes. Women who are doing other things. Oh yeah. 
you know, that's exactly what it is, right? Like something traumatic happened and his mother could no longer love him the way he needed. She, her whole attention was focused on Mads. So now he, he cheats, he gravitates towards women who will give him that attention because he didn't get it as a kid. That makes total fucking sense. That's like psychology 101. That's totally true. Yes. And also his, his father, his father, uh, cheats, uh, and his grandmother also cheats. It is this sort of like generational trauma, almost deeply buried. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, man. Not to mention his connection with with Katerina. Katerina was also lacking in love because she had an abusive household with her mother. So I can see how they bonded so closely together Mm because both needed love. Ulrich needed comfort as well as love. And so he gravitated towards Katerina, who is strong in spite of everything that she went through. But it's almost like you said, Murgles, that generational trauma, it's almost like, what is it, the worm at the base of the tower that makes it topple? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's it's what undercuts everything. He just can't help himself. He has to cheat. We see it even in the alternate timeline. He cheats on the person he cheated with. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no matter how much love he gets, it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, I, I would also maybe like to throw out that Katerina does not need Ulrich. Ulrich needs Katerina. Yeah. Ulrich needs that love. But I would like to argue that Katerina does not. And maybe we can like jump into that more on Katerina's episode mm-hmm. next week. But I, I do sort of have this feeling that Katerina is, is alone fundamentally. I agree with that. Yeah. I think that she just, her personality type or her inability to be truly vulnerable or accept or like be truly with other people and take everything out on her own shoulders to some extent. Yeah, I think she's that way in the beginning, but I do think that as things progress, she does become vulnerable, whereas Ulrich doesn't necessarily. They kind of like trade places. They are really kind of weirdly looped and mirroring each other, and she breaks a cycle and he falls victim to to one. So yeah, Yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. But we are going to talk about her next week, right? That's her next week episode is, is her, so... Is there anything else we want to talk about with Ulrich? I feel like there's still so much more to talk about with him. There's like so many scenes that we haven't hit on. But I think we hit on the major themes of him as a character. Yeah. And I think I'm going to walk away still thinking about Ulrich. He's a character that normally I feel like I would hate a a lot because he's a serial cheater. But for some reason I do find him very sympathetic and I, I feel badly for him. And the, the fact that he ends up in an institution called the inspector for 34 years is like the worst thing that could ever happen. I remember seeing that and being like, that's my worst nightmare. You are are now quite literally trapped. All the symbolism with him being trapped is just so beautifully done. Even when you break out, you get put back in. It's just, yeah, yeah, man, it's wild. And that's kind of of like, even when you break out and end up with Hannah, you get put You're still back in, back in that same Hannah. thing. Yeah, because you didn't so unpack you your bullshit, buddy. Yeah, you know, exactly. you got to get some therapy. <laughs> yeah. Unpack that bullshit as to why you feel like you, you know, when things are calm and stagnant, you seek out chaos. You know, that's like common trauma, trauma childhood trauma 101. Yeah. yeah. You know, when things are <laughs> great in your life, do you feel the need to self-destruct? 
pattern. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Does it feel does does calmness and stability feel completely unfamiliar to you? And, make and you so panic? <laughs> yeah. So you have to recreate the trauma of your past in order to feel at home and comfortable. Snake eating his mm. tail, you know? Come yeah. on. Yeah, it's wild. But anyway, that's I think that's all I had for Ulrich. So yeah. Do yeah. we want to wrap up or is there anything else? I think we should wrap up. You got to go in like I 10 do, minutes, I do. Right? I do have to and do that prep, thing. right? Uh, yes, yeah. I do have to do that thing as well. Um, but I did want to touch on some cool things uh, to share. I'm going to drop these in the show notes today. But I, I think because this show very specifically makes us want more of the world, more of dark, maybe more things like dark, that I want to try to shout some cool stuff out that I find uh, every week. The first thing is fan art by Baxar Rack. And I'm sure I, I mispronounced that. And for that, I apologize. But it is some beautiful portraits that I will include in the show show notes on ArtStation. They're called Dark Studies. And then the second one is Everything is Connected, which is another fan art by Kim Myatt, also on ArtStation. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful works. Um, so I will include those as well. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is Mergles mentioned The Leftovers, which is another TV show. I think it's three seasons long. It's either three or five seasons long. I'm getting mixed up with Dark now. Um, but it is another incredible show that is completely character driven. However, I do want to give a little bit of a heads up. That one's incredibly difficult, Dark. It sometimes feels like nothing good ever happens in that show. It's really, really tough to watch. However, Tales from the Loop is another show. It is on Amazon Prime right now. It has the same kind of vibe as both The Leftovers. In fact, the theme song is very reminiscent, and I think it's done purposely to reference The Leftovers theme song. Anyway, that show is very kind of dark-like and Leftovers-like, and if you're looking for something else to dive into and scratch that dark itch, I definitely recommend that. The first episode is can be a little tough because I feel like the child actress wasn't so great, but it's so good. It's so good, especially after coming. I have to be honest, especially after coming after dark. I don't want somebody to watch episode one go ex do exactly what I did and not watch it again for like a month. And then I went to episode two and went, wait, everything's connected. This isn't like Black Mirror. These aren't one shots <laughs> that everything's connected. <laughs> it's so good. So then you, you got to watch it. Yeah, you got to watch it. Anyway, that's it for my dark finds for this week. Does anybody else have dark finds we want to share? If I do, I don't remember. Okay, no yeah. worries. Um, so that's it then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And of course, if we missed anything, you can tweet us individually um, or use the hashtag darkcompanionpod or email us directly at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. And of course, special thanks to Johnny for letting us use the beautiful cover art. You can find him at Twitter at Johnny Knight. And that is J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, we are also <laughs> proudly part of the Geek Generation Network. And you can find more awesome podcasts related to cool nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Uh, thank you so much for diving into dark. And we'll be back next Thursday with episode number five, which is going Ooh. to be a Katarina special. I don't know if we know the title of that episode yet. But we'll no. surprise you. It is about Katarina. So we we'll see you next week for that. And let's do some shout outs. Acorn, okay. you want to go first? Sure. I'm Acorn Bandit. You can find me online under Acorn Bandit or Joey Son Studio, where I make enamel pins. I am also on another podcast on the Geek Generation Network called Avatar, the podcast. We are 
super excited to be running a giveaway right now. So if you haven't seen it or entered, please go check it out at Podcast Avatar on Twitter. Um, otherwise, I think that's pretty much it for me. So I'm going to make this awkward and be like, okay, Mergles, your turn. Okay, great. Hi, I'm Mergles. <laughs> um, <laughs> hi, I'm Mergles. Uh, I am an animator and a storyboard artist, and I work in the industry and stuff, but I also sometimes stream on Twitch. I'm making an animated film, so if you're interested in seeing how animated films get made, you can see it there. You can find me on Twitter at Mergles, uh, and also Twitch at Mergles, and, you know, all that stuff. Um, thanks so much. <laughs> And I'm PB, and you can find me at Twitter at Pumpkinberry, and you can also see all the crazy cool projects that I've done um, at Pumpkinberry.tv. I do a lot of different podcasts and stuff, but I do want to shout out one particular thing. If you're a fan of improv or tabletop, I, I think I'm okay directing you to Nocturne now because it is literally about people stuck in a time loop, and there are a lot of parallels, and specifically talking about and researching Ulrich today about the many lives being lived and how that affects you. That's something we touch on in that show. So you can find that by going directly to tablestory.tv slash nocturne. Um, and yeah, that's, that's me. Thank you so much for listening and we'll Thank see you, you next week. Bye. Bye.